Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It is Monday, April 5th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. It's NCAA Championship Game Day, and I think I speak for many in college basketball in saying we're looking forward to seeing the nation's top two teams, Gonzaga and Baylor, square off tonight. Beat writers Jesse Newell and Kellis Robinette are looking forward to it. They join us on today's show. We talk about the game and other topics, such as Bill Self's new lifetime contract, and we keep up with the news on the transfer portal, including what looks like a straight-up trade between Kansas State and Missouri. So let's get started talking college basketball with Jesse Newell and Kellis Robinette. Hey, good morning from Kansas City, and welcome to Sportsbeat Live, the weekly show where we talk Royals with the Kansas City Star reporters and columnists who know them best. And with you, please send us your questions and comments about the Royals, and we'll get to as many of them as we can. Let's welcome in Lynn Worthy, who's following the Royals in Cleveland. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Blair. Good morning, Vahe. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Blair. (laughs) <laughs> Here's Vahe. He's following the Royals. Uh, he followed the Royals from Coffin Stadium through their first home series. And uh, Vahe, how you doing? I'm good. En- enjoyed uh, the series. Enjoyed being with you guys now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I greeted you from Kansas City, but I'm still in Indianapolis where I covered the, the NCAA championship game last night. Um, hey, before we before we get started want to take a moment and um, and continue to uh, acknowledge our new sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System. It is great to have them on board. So uh, so did you guys watch the, the, the NCAA title game last night, Baylor-Gonzaga? I watched a, a bunch of it, Blair, but uh, we're persuaded at home to watch a series called Outlander in between. So, uh, it, and I kept coming back hoping it was going to be – worth worth uh you know some kind of good ending but just just never got there yeah it, it never was <laughs> it was a surprisingly one-sided championship game with Baylor uh planting the flag for the big 12 and winning the national championship by 16 I do have a story about this game that relates to our topic so um I was following uh Royals Cleveland yesterday from the room before I uh, left to go to Lucas Oil Stadium. And I got to the stadium parking lot uh, about a half hour before the gates opened for the media. They, they really have condensed that time with, uh, with the pandemic. You, could, you can't get into the stadium until about an hour and a half before the game. So I pulled, up, pulled my laptop out of my bag and I watched the final couple innings of the, the Royals-Indians game on the ESPN feed and watched the... Uh, you know, watch Santana make the play that he made to start the double play and, uh, and watch Jesse Hahn str- you know, struggle but get through the ninth inning and the Royals completed that 3 nothing victory. Uh, close up the laptop, get out of my car to walk into Lucas Oil Stadium, and who do I walk into but Bill and Nikki Hancock. Bill, of course, is the, you know, the, the president of the, of the college football playoff and lives in, in Kansas City and – uh, you know, and the, and the first thing that we talk about isn't the game that night, but the Royals. He was doing the same thing. He was listening to the final two innings uh, of the Royals-Cleveland game from his car before he embarked. Bill and Nikki are big, big Royals fans and, uh, and often are seen at Kauffman Stadium. But, 
Terrific game last night or yesterday afternoon, Lynn, especially for Danny Duffy. That's uh, that had to, the most encouraging of the starts so far for the Royals, wasn't it? Yeah, they they came into you know this this um, first road trip having won two out of three, but you had starters who didn't make it out of the second inning and who didn't make it out of the fourth inning in those first three games. So you, I mean, not that you were you know taxing the bullpen that much, especially with these off days, but just the fact that you want you know you're going with a four four man rotation, you want your guys to sort of set a tone and. They'd been getting roughed up a little bit. So Duffy comes out, throws six scoreless. They didn't have, I think it was from the fourth inning to the ninth inning, they didn't have a base runner. And Duffy just sort of set that tone after they, you know, they're coming off of their first loss too. Yeah, look, uh, and Duffy hadn't had a lot of career success against Cleveland. I know that he, in his final start against Cleveland last year, I think he pitched five and two-thirds scoreless. But historically – I, I think three and twelve or three and eleven lifetime against against Cleveland, and that makes sense. Look, he's pitched against this club when it's been a a playoff caliber and even a World Series team, but uh, but he looked he looked terrific and and very encouraging for the Royals that they got that start that they did out of Duffy. And hey, you know, I had to look this up because I I didn't know Carlos Santana is not a Gold Glove first baseman. He has 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 never won one. But that was an incredible play he made in the ninth <laughs> inning yesterday. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, to me, especially just watching that unfold, I'm thinking off the bat, like, that could get down, you know, I mean, it's a split second, but, like, that might get down into the corner. Like, you just look at the, the angle it's going, like, that's going to get into the corner. That's run scored, you know. And even just before that, it's like it went from they were sort of cruising, they controlled that game to there's a walk, there's a hit. There's two guys on. The tying runs at the plate. Uh-oh. And all of a sudden, Greg Holland's getting up in the bullpen, and it's like, are they going to have to, you know, try and bail somebody out? Is this going to be a down-to-the-wire? Are we talking about extra innings? And all of a sudden, Carlos Santana, calm down, folks. Calm down. I got this. I got this. <laughs> Starts a yeah. double play that just took the air out of Cleveland just like that. Yeah, so he goes to uh, he goes to the, the the first baseline, and that 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 was the dive that he made, uh, or at least went to his knees to to grab that. The replay wasn't good on on um, uh, on, on capturing that, but uh, and I saw where was it Nicky Lopez said after the game that the th- it was the throw that impressed him as much as it was the stop. Yeah, he said you know he, Nicky who had to turn it, you know he's playing shortstop, so he catches it and he makes a throw back to Jesse Hahn. He said his part was the easy part. He said the hard part was what Carlos did to to come up with that, to make that throw right on the money, and to give him a chance to be able to relay it back to Jesse Hahn. You know he he was just and and you know he pointed out the fact he's like you know he sort of had a little smirk on his face when he said and this is a guy who was in the other dugout you know last year now he's on our side and look at what he's doing. He said he just. You know, he was it, it was just funny to see that smile on his face when he said that, because it's like, you know, they gave him that big ovation. You know, they they, they were cheering for him during opening, uh, you know, the introductions. They cheer for him the first time he gets in the batter's box and then he breaks their hearts in the ninth inning. OK, hey, uh, I wanted to ask you guys about the atmosphere at ballparks now that fans are in the stadiums. But one more little item from from Monday's game, Lynn. Um why did why did Mike Matheny go with Jesse Hahn uh, in the ninth inning and not and, and not Wade Davis or or Josh Stalmont or just one of the other closers? What was it about Hahn that uh, that made the decision for for Matheny? 
You know, and, and I'm not sure if he got specific on that. I mean, I know one thing with, with uh, early in the year, they're trying to get some guys some, you know, some action in games um, where you get so spread out. I think they don't want to get too far where guys just don't pitch. But also, um, I think Davis had pitched the day before. You got an off day, so you could so you sort of could have used probably whoever. Um, but I think they like to play the matchup game. They like to, um, you know, make sure guys get get some time in there. Barlow had just cruised, um, you know, so they – they had options, and I don't know that he really got into the specifics of Han, and obviously it ended up working out. But I think it was more of a matchup thing and something probably need to follow up on again. But um, between just trying to make sure guys get work and don't sit too long with all these off days and, and also just playing the matchups. Right, right, right. Okay, it's in, like I was saying, uh, fans in the stands, I know that it's been in, in Kansas City, it's capped at uh, 10,000. Uh, pr- probably about the same in Cleveland because I noticed their opening day attendance was less than ten thousand, with uh, because of the the social distancing restrictions. But by you went to each of the, you went to each. I think this is right, right? You went to all the home games in the in the opener, and um, just how different was it to to have people watching baseball with you? I thought so different. I think Lynn probably felt the same. You know, you. And it just becomes a different experience from going along with you and go out and just just take a look in the stands and see people going to the concessions and hearing the buzz, feeling the buzz. Um, there weren't many moments where you thought, oh, this is first. The other day when he was talking about at times it felt like. 10,000 people were standing behind them, pushing them out on the field, something to that effect. I don't know if that's the exact right words Lynn might remember. Um, So I think even for us in the media, it creates a different experience to to take it all in that way. Sights, sounds, smells, all all change through that lens. What did the players say about it, Lynn, afterwards? They they had to be really stoked. Yeah, I mean, especially at home, just to see, you know, to have those cheers, to have, you know, that atmosphere, to have the sounds that aren't coming through a loudspeaker, um, you know, to have actual fans in the stands and like, you know, to it, it just, it's different. I mean, um, players talked about it. Mike Matheny talked about how it felt more, you know, right, like this is how it's supposed to be um, back in Kaufman. And even, you know, in Kansas City, I mean, in uh, here in Cleveland, I asked some guys yesterday just because, in my mind, and I was thinking about writing about this later, but um, in my mind, I just go back to, you know, two years ago, they played multiple games here, but they also there's the all-star game here in that same area. And this place was just packed with people. Last year you came here and then it was like a ghost town and you had, you know, and it didn't hit me until actually I got here last year was this, um, you know, in July was right after a lot of things have been going on just in this country. I mean, and, you know, you walk around downtown Cleveland, there's places boarded up. You don't see a whole lot of people out. It was just, uh, it was different. And then they play this baseball game and it was just eerie because you could hear sounds outside the stadium. You could hear all sorts of different stuff. It didn't feel like it was an event. And then you come here this time and, you know, just driving in from the airport, I get dropped off and we get close to the ballpark in downtown area. And you see all these people walking around the streets. You see jerseys, you see crowds of people. And it's like, something's going on and it was, it was, it was just really, it was, it was different just in my mind to think about just the differences between the last couple of years and the trips to Cleveland and 
particularly last year and this year where it was, you know, almost like you were watching some sort of a scrimmage or something like that because there's no people around. It's just the two teams and it's this quiet environment, antiseptic environment. And then this year it was an event again. So it was it was definitely different. And, you know, talking to the players, I mean, it's I think it is still a little weird for some of the players just because like the, the game atmosphere is definitely different, but they're still dealing with the protocols and sort of being semi locked down. So um, I think there's a, a little difference there as well, but it's, you could definitely tell it's, it's changed from last year. Uh, so are, uh, are the Royals ready for 40,000 uh, in the stands by like, uh, like we saw with the uh, Arlington, Texas. I, I, I don't know if they're ready, but but I'm not, um, and and I I think I don't know it it it, it people see, come to this from different points of view, but I but I think most rational people would look at that spectacle in Texas and say it's a disturbance in the force, and really just you can't have that. Um, I think I don't know, Lynn, if if you know if there, there's a sort of you know tentative staggered plan going forward or not to add but I think it's at a pretty comfortable amount right now. And uh, maybe we'll see what the next month or so brings. And um, I could see more in there, but I, I can't see uh, opening the gates fully. I, I, I hope, I hope we're a ways off from that just because I don't think we quite understand the ramifications of, of where we really are right now in the pandemic. Yeah. And I think the, the plan, at least as it was announced was that um, they were going to reassess every month and talk about potentially adding to that capacity month by month. I don't think they would go from 10,000 to make the big leap to, you know, full capacity from one month to the next. I think it would be more gradual, but that's, and also it's going to be in consultation with, you know, local officials. So it's not as though it's just going to be the Royals deciding, okay, we want to get as many people in here as we, as we can next month. It's going to be a collective decision and it's going to be a month by month thing. I think it's, a lot of it's going to have to do with, you know, the availability and the, of the vaccine, how many people are getting vaccinated. Um, and I don't think it's just going to be a pure how can we grab some money sort of a situation. I think it's going to be more of a, a larger picture of public health before they decide you're going to get to full capacity. And I, and I don't think this has changed. Uh, I know the Royals went into the season saying that uh, you had to buy your tickets in advance. There's no day of game <clears throat> purchase for, <clears throat> excuse me, for for tickets, and that way they can monitor uh, where where everybody's sitting, and, uh, and and basically shape the stadium the the way and design the stadium seating uh, to to with with safety, of course, in, in mind. So. So yeah, so we'll, we'll at the end of April, I'm sure the the, the Royals will have some other type of announcement about how May home games are going to uh, are, are going to look. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May fifth, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. 
Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, we spent some time talking about uh, Monday's game because there's so much there to, to discuss. But the, the opening series against the Rangers was fascinating to me. Those first two games where the Royals scored 25 runs, I, 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 I forgot what all the records were uh, for you know, offense in uh, to, to open a season like that. But that was that was incredible to see what the Royals were doing at the plate. And Fahey, what um, uh, what were you, what were your impressions of this batting order and what was going on up and down the lineup on uh, what Thursday and, and Saturday? Well, a couple of things going on. You know, they come up to the plate for the first time this season, down five nothing, and the first thing you get <laughs> is Merrifield and Benintendi. With, with base hits. Then you get, I think, three straight walks, so, something like that. Um, Salvador Perez's first at-bat of the season is walking in a run. And <laughs> I think this number's right. This is a sort of a, maybe a minor sub point, but I think the Royals have walked 18 times now in four games and with, with zero on Sunday. So that is not typically part of their offense. Um and I think it, it speaks a little bit to the influence of, of, of Santana. But the, the broader point on this player is I think you see the versatility and depth of that lineup with different guys that can do different things, um, getting base runners on, moving them along. Uh, there was that streak the other day where uh, Michael A. Taylor hits a home run. Isbel follows with a triple. Um Alberto follows with a double and Nicky Lopez gets a bunt single. It, it, it just seems like that is testimony to the range of what they've got going here. And who, who the heck thought Michael A. Taylor would be the early catalyst with six RBIs in the first two games. So I think it, there's a lot of, lot of stuff to be excited about there. And, and just when you start getting a little concerned that they keep getting in these holes, you get that start from Danny Duffy yesterday. So they're winning somewhat in different ways, but they've demonstrated real explosiveness at the plate too. I was going to say, if I, how, how did you get that far into it without mentioning the legend of Michael A. Taylor? I mean, that was, uh, <laughs> you can't start off a career as a Royal any better than that. I mean, to, uh, I think his first time at the plate, he knocks in a run the next time around. I think he, uh, he was a home run. Uh, he had two outfield assists in that first game. Uh, then he comes back and the home run the next game, I think was the, was the first run they scored, right? I think they were down was it the next game. They were down four. And then I think the first run they scored was his, uh, his home run. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, it was a big opening weekend, I think for, from the standpoint of the additions they made or just the new guys, I mean, including a guy like Isbo who was an addition, but a new guy in the lineup um, all performed. And I mean, and you can't, count on that to be the case every game throughout the season but just for an opening weekend to see Santana I think was on base was five times in the first game between walks to see 
you know, Benintendi drawing, drawing walks, getting on base, to see Michael A. Taylor hitting home runs. Kyle Isbell's first at bat in the major leagues is an RBI single, uh, I think, with the bases loaded. Um, so from that standpoint, just to see the guys that they went out and got and the, the, the guys that sort of gave Royals fans and people follow this team some excitement and some hope and, you know, some enthusiasm for the season, for them to all sort of deliver in different ways the first weekend, I think that – that was sort of a big thing just to build momentum, especially, and I think we've, uh, I think we've spoke about it. I know I've written about it just the last couple of years, the start of the season, like they, they've fizzled out of the gates and just haven't been able to, to really recover. And for them to start off hot and to all those offseason additions to sort of play into that, just to, you know, sort of like you wrote the column the other day, you can't start off much better in the first couple of games than, than what they did. I think I read this in Bellinger minutes today that the, the the first two games of the season for Michael Taylor he he hasn't had a two game stretch like that in his career um, offensively when you when you add up all the numbers so that was remarkable and Vahe mentioned it in his response earlier but I I think I don't think we can emphasize it enough but the presence of Carlos Santana in that middle of the lineup with his you know with his plate discipline uh, I mean. How many how many times over the last three or four years have we seen Royals rally fizzle when two runners on and one out and and Salvi or somebody comes up and you know starts you know hacking at pitches that are out of the strike zone and um, not taking the walk that's being given to them and just you know kills the you know the, the, the little minor uprising that the Royals might have had that inning Santana changes the equation on that um, with his with his his great eye great plate discipline I. I don't. I just. Uh, that's that's a terrific uh, addition uh, to the Royals' batting order. Look, it's only four games. And I think we're we're going to have to qualify everything we say by it's only four games. But what a, what an encouraging sign uh, for to to get the Carlos Santana that had been beating the Royals uh, pretty constantly throughout his career. And Larry, you're, and you're, you're saying also. This, uh, oh, go ahead, Lynn. Oh no, yeah, you can go ahead, bud. No, just just this that I, I mean I didn't really ever think about plate discipline as as potentially um, as again I hesitate to use this word these days but contagious as um, as some other elements of the game can be but I dare say if Santana weren't on this team I don't think they'd have the other uh, as many other walks I think there's something going on here with example and and uh, sort of I don't know I don't know if it's chemistry whatever you'd call it but but I think guys are are playing together and part of that is seeing seeing the best of what what can be done and and i was just gonna um also add the fact that i mean in the lineup that we're looking at also you you can take a little bit of encouragement i guess uh, or depending on what you know your viewpoint is there's, there's still some pieces that we haven't seen yet really because you know dozier still is, hasn't really played and you've been looking at Hanser Alberto step in and be this energetic spark plug, but Dozier is a, a big piece of that in the lineup who, you know, he might be out back in the lineup come Wednesday, but you know, he, he played, I think it was six or seven innings of the first game and hasn't played since then. And then obviously Alberto Mondesi is, is on the, uh, the IL and it's probably a couple of weeks away from, from getting back out there. But, you know, so those are a couple of guys who they've been playing without and still sort of, piecing together some big offensive performances. I mean, Nicky Lopez was, you know, in, in some people's minds, just sort of 
jettisoned <laughs> before the start of the season to the minors, and then he's starting shortstop your opening day, and he's, you know, whether it's drawing walks, uh, coming through with a, a butt hit here, a base hit. I mean, uh, the hit and run yesterday that set up the third run um, because it moved, you know, uh, McBroom from first to third, and then with Merrifield sacrifice fly to get him in. Um, so they've really, you know, again, with different pieces in that lineup, um, really been able to, to piece together a lot, some big offensive performances without some guys that you expect will be keys later on. You know, we've gone this far and really re- barely mentioned Whit Merrifield. And, <laughs> and all he's doing, he's, he's only on pace for 120 home runs. So I think that'll play. <laughs> I mean, we, don't we, dare challenge him on that either, Blair. He might, he might, uh, he might take offense if you suggest he's going to get any fewer. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we, we've seen we, we've seen this from him, right? I mean, he's he's been a terrific offensive player uh, for, for the Royals. He's led the American League in hits for two years, uh, two in, in eighteen and nineteen. Um, but uh, but it looked like you know his, his batting his average dropped last year, right? It was only small sample size, right? Sixty games, but you know over three hundred the previous two years dropped to two eighty two. But man, he is coming out swinging. Has, what has he said about his hot start, Lynn? Um, uh, he's, I think he's eight for sixteen in these four games. Yeah, and in, in true Whit Merrifield form, you know, you talk about last year his numbers dropping, and he, I think, this spring training almost, uh, it, I was going to say almost defiantly, but it's not defiant when it's Whit; it's just sort of Whit <laughs> to say that he felt like he was swinging it as good as he ever had last year. It's just, you know, there was a stretch where he had a little bit of a slump and in a 60-game season, you have a slump, and it brings your numbers down significantly, and you don't get the right. chance to bounce back. But he thought he was swinging it as well as he had last year. Um, I mean, last year as well as he had, you know, any other time in his career. And so he starts off this year feeling like he's swinging well. Um, the thing that always stands out about me, uh, about him to me is just, you know, he's, he's their leadoff guy. He's their catalyst at the top of the lineup. But he's not a leadoff guy who's just an on-base guy. Like He's a leadoff guy who can do a little bit of everything, and it comes up when you have guys now at the bottom of that lineup that are actually getting on base and setting the table in front of him as opposed to, you know, recent years where he was always had to try and start something because the bottom of that lineup was, you know, it just sort of, for the most part, fell off a cliff. And so then he would get back up to wit, and he'd have to try and start something up again. Now there's times when there's guys on base and he can come through with a sacrifice fly or he can take advantage of, you know, maybe a pitcher who's um, trying to pitch out of a tight spot. And, you know, yesterday just sort of made a poor, the guy made a poor decision to try and think he could sneak back a 3-0 fastball past him and Witt was ready to crush that. And not, I'm not sure that every leadoff guy has that versatility where, you, you know, you have to be careful especially when, you know, he's not playing in Kaufman. When you're playing in another ballpark, that that power is something you have to be careful of. I mean, maybe Kaufman mitigates that a little bit when it comes to Whit, but when he's on the road, and, and I know it's something that registers in his mind at least a little bit because I remember a couple of years ago talking to him about his home run numbers being up, and he's the one who pointed out to me. He said, well, look at where some of those are. He said, look at – he said, you know, I can't remember what the number was at the time he might have had – 10 and he said you know i think eight of those are on the road and i went back and sure enough you know whatever that number was that's how many of those are on the road so um he's just not a prototype leadoff hitter but in a lot of ways a a leadoff hitter plus i guess you could say because of the different things he does um but he's 
he's not lacking in confidence in terms of last year being a, a down year. He was ready to hit the ground running this year for sure. Hey, Blair, just to chime in with one other thing that I, I meant to say earlier, sort of connects all these things maybe. You know, the reason you and Bill Hancock were, you know, on national championship day were so cognizant of trying to watch the Royals, the, the reason I was like watching innings at a time when I was supposed to be writing something is – I guess because of that first series, right? I don't know if we would have all felt that that way uh, on day. And now today I feel genuinely disappointed that they're not playing. Um, and I just think that's, that's kind of the, the neat, you know, underpinning to all this right now. It's really a team you want to, you want to see. I think it's really intriguing for all the reasons Lynn and, and you just mentioned. Um, there, there's really something going on here, I think. You know, I wonder if we went back and uh, studied the history of off, the, you know, the off days in the first week or two of a season. How many of those actually get used? Because you're right. When you look, at, I don't know what the weather in Cleveland is, Lynn. I don't know if they could play. They probably could play today if I um, this afternoon. And it's just you feel cheated, right? When you have an off day because of the, you know, they, they built them in for the weather and early in April and and uh, and when they're not playing, when the weather's okay, you feel like, oh, come on. We could, we can get this done. Let's 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 get him to the ballpark and get a game in. Let's go. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I think I think it's supposed to get up to the upper sixties today. I'm just looking out this window and I see sunshine. I haven't gone outside yet today, but so they could play some ball today. At the same time, as we're four games into a 162 game season, I am not going to complain about any days off that are coming my way. Um, that's just lunacy for me to start complaining about days off at this point. But, yeah, they could play baseball today. <laughs> you know, especially ha- having, you know, grinded through spring training as well. So um, where there were very few days off. Um, hey, let's let's talk about the All-Star game. Um, Vahe, I know you were, you've written about it. Uh, that was uh, the, the, the news moved quickly uh, on, on Monday when it came to the All-Star game after – after the commissioner announced that it was uh, Rob Manfred that was moving out of Atlanta over you know, for political reasons, and it has, uh, I think, it has found a new home. It's not in Kansas City, but um, just uh, I mean, it's a terrible way to set it up for you. But just take take us through what what happened to the All Star Game and where it's going to be played. Well, it, you know, I guess it was Friday that that Major League Baseball announced it was pulling pulling it out of Atlanta because of the. Uh, uh, restrictive um, voter measures being taken in Georgia. Um, and I think that led to kind of a funny 72 hours or so. MLB gave no parameters, no real hints about where it would go. Uh, there became some speculation about Milwaukee because the game is supposed to celebrate Hank Aaron, the great brave star who, uh, who died this year and, and got his start with Milwaukee. The Braves when they were in Milwaukee and finished his career with the Brewers, so there was some thought about Milwaukee being a, a place. But some uh, prominent national voices, including Buster Olney uh, from ESPN, made the point that this might make uh, an appropriate time for Kansas City and, and because of its relationship with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, as we're we're you know reexamining so many of these things, reconciling we hope so many of these things. So I think Kansas City had had some flickering hopes and thoughts about it. It doesn't look like that will happen. I'm pretty sure it will go to Colorado as we speak, but I, I don't think MLB has officially announced 
posted, but it did give us a chance to talk to Bob Kendrick uh, from the Negro Leagues Museum about Yeah, uh, Vahe was going to say about uh, you know about the role. That's okay. You're, you're saying uh, had a chance. It gave Bob Kendrick a chance to talk about um, you know Kansas City's place and the kind of in the in, in the in the baseball world when it comes to this topic. Yeah. So look. Um, exactly. Uh, no, that's that's okay. Uh, that, that's all right. Look, um, so yeah, I, I was here in Colorado as well. It seems like they were in line for a, an All Star game in the pretty near future, so they sort of have the, um, you know, the, the the structure in place to host an All Star game. And if it, if that ends up uh, being if it ends up being there, I, uh, that that's one of the reasons I heard. One of the other reasons I heard was. Uh, what a home run derby it could be in the thin air of uh, you know, of Denver. You could, you could have a lot of fun with that uh, with it, with that uh, contest. So, um, yeah. So it's a developing story, and we will we'll continue to follow it. And I know Vahe is uh, on top of it, so we will uh, uh, continue to to report it as well. So uh, let's uh, let, let's call it a show, guys. We'll end it here and uh, pick up the conversation next Tuesday on, on Sports Beat Live. I want to thank uh, Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for joining us and to you all for tuning in and especially to Beth Welch, our producer, who, uh, who gets us through uh, the show every week. So thank you guys, and we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sports Beat KC production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welch, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Callis Robinette and Jesse Newell for stopping by and talking college basketball. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we have another deal for you. You can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. Sports Pass, of course, is the Kansas City Star sports page online. You get all the stories that are included in the Star's print product, but much, much more that appear only on the Star's website. So like I said, 99 cents a month after three months at auto renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. And what a time to subscribe. The Royals are off to a good start, right? Two and one after their first series. The NCAA championship game is tonight between Baylor and Gonzaga. And of course, it is never not chief season. So how do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just sports coverage? Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports, news, features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional national news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.com kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of those offers, send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and we will get you to the right place. So whether it's the whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting in supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we will be back on Tuesday with another episode. Mm-hmm.